I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. It's always good for us to be in the presence of the Lord. If you are one of our guests, I want to invite you to stick around after services and let us get to know you and you get to know us just a bit better. If you are so inclined, I believe there is a card in the pew back in front of you that you can fill out and leave in either one of the boxes on either side of the auditorium. That would benefit us greatly. Turning your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 5. John read for us earlier from Romans 8. You will need that this morning, but we also need Romans 5 to go along with it. Romans 5, let us read verses 1 through 5. Hear now the word of the true and living God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let us pray. Father, we do rejoice in the hope of your glory. And at the same time, we dwell in this world. And there is so much pain and suffering we need your help this morning to hear clearly from your word and what you say and what you speak concerning the grief, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering that we endure in this world. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our modern society struggles with the meaning of suffering, perhaps more than any other society in history. At the same time, our culture will endure more suffering for cultural beauty standards than any other society in history. From plucking eyebrows to waxing unwanted hair to plastic surgery on various parts of the body, people on the one hand will wonder why there is pain and suffering, and then on the other hand, they will turn around and endure pain and suffering for cultural beauty standards. Almost paradoxical in nature. Most people can bear the voluntary, momentary pain. Maybe they even find meaning in those. But what about the unwanted pain that never goes away? There's a lot of people who struggle with the problem of pain. What possible meaning could there be in a terminal disease? What significance is there in a child being born with a particular disease that they will have the rest of their lives? What message is God sending in all of this pain and this suffering? And of course, physical pain is one thing, but what about emotional suffering, emotional pain? 
What's the meaning behind the loss of a loved one? What is the message that God has concerning acute depression? What is the significance of a nervous breakdown? And then, of course, there's all the unjust suffering in the world. We can look back historically. Why did millions of Jews have to die in gas chambers in Germany, victims of a crazed dictator? Similar atrocities have taken place around the world, from Russia to China, Cambodia. The 20th century results in being the bloodiest century in history. And then, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a big thing, right? Millions of people. But then we come right down to the individual who is, at some level, a microcosm of that large suffering. Uh, we could talk about people that are unjustly imprisoned for years. Maybe say like a, a Nelson Mandela, for instance. The same thing happens even at a local level. I'm reminded of a news story from the Modesto Bee. It's been a, a few years now. But a man had spent 21 years in prison for a murder that he didn't commit. Then there's categories, other categories of evil, like moral evil, natural evil. Natural evil would be anything from viruses to volcanoes erupting. Supernatural evil, we have very powerful, malevolent spiritual entities that are at war with us that cause us any amount of pain and suffering in this world. The temptation is to view all of this pain and suffering as meaningless. That, that, that uh, there is, it's, it's just gratuitous. That's a term that's often utilized. Uh, it, it really doesn't have a meaning. And, and if there is any uh, meaning to it, uh, even beauty, what could it possibly be? Such answers escape our finite minds. I want to suggest that if there is meaning, even beauty, in, in say, lesser suffering like the plucked eyebrows and uh, the, the things like that, then I suggest that there is meaning and even beauty in the greater suffering. Will we always fully comprehend it? No. However, I'm persuaded that God has cosmic beauty in mind when he permits, when he allows, and in even... Uh, cases causes us even to undergo pain and suffering. And I say that because of the cross. There is unimaginable, unfathomable, eternal suffering in the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ dying on the cross, I am persuaded, is the ugliest event in human history. Uh, granted, we could point to Mandela or uh, any other individual who suffers, uh, and we can even pile it up with all the various miscarriages of justice, millions of people going to their death unjustly. However, I would say the execution of Jesus is even greater. And the reason is because every single individual is flawed, is a fallen son or daughter of Adam, were sinners. Christ was not. And Christ is not a sinner. There is no sin in him. He is sinless. He is perfect. And yet he still suffers unjustly. At the hands of sinful people. Sinful creatures, no less. 
And then, of course, uh, we can recognize that Christ is God. He is God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. God the Son being put to death on the cross by sinful men. That is the ugliest, imaginable evil ever recorded on the pages of human history. Period. Full stop. It does not get worse than that. And yet, out of the ugliness of the cross, out of all the pain and suffering that Christ endures, God accomplishes something beautiful. Through the cross, God's redemptive purposes are accomplished. Through the cross, we are made holy. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, writes, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. You hear both of these, holiness and redemption coming together this these were the, the singular aim of the purpose of his will, the purpose of God's will, that we would be holy and blameless before him and that we would have redemption through the blood of Christ. So it is through the death of Christ, through his death that Christ makes people holy. It is through his death that Christ redeems people from their sins. It is through the agony of the cross that God brought about his holy and redemptive purposes. Here another instance of this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, for in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was fully, 100% God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in, the, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Once again, you see the, the goal, the twin goals of the suffering of Christ were holiness and redemption. They meet together in how he made peace by the blood of his cross. There's our reconciliation. There's our redemption and how he presents us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And also we see there's a cosmic scope to this where he is reconciling to himself all things on earth in heaven. And he's making peace with all those things through his blood. This week I was pondering a question related to this. And it was, is God more glorified with evil and suffering in the world, or is he less glorified with evil and suffering in the world? I think there's a temptation to lean toward the latter, that somehow God is less glorified because of the evil and the suffering in this world. Or at least maybe there's, there's no change in it, right? It just kind of remains equal, not more or less glorified. 
But if we trace the thread of pain and suffering through the cross, I believe we have to land on the fact that God is more glorified in evil and suffering in the world. Jesus and the cross manifest the glory of God. I, I was uh, reminded even this morning uh, in conversation with a brother about one of the instances where God speaks from heaven during the ministry of Christ. You remember that Jesus, he, he prays, uh, Father, glorify your name, and the answer comes from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. Now, the people that were standing there thought it was thunder, and uh, other people thought, well, maybe an angel has spoken. They, they didn't get it. What God was talking about there was how through the cross, God the Son would glorify God the Father. And John's gospel accentuates how the cross is the enthronement of the King, King Jesus. And so Jesus and the cross manifest that God is more glorified with evil in the world. How could God be glorified on the cross if there was no evil in the world? He couldn't. And yet this was by design. It was the plan of God that this is exactly what God the Son would do in order to accomplish human redemption. And so God must have good, holy, redemptive purposes in suffering. But there is something about it that He is even more glorified with pain and suffering and evil in the world. Tracing this through the cross then, I believe, ought to inform how we view our own pain and suffering that it is the fact that God has even holy and redemptive purposes in our suffering as, as we suffer here on this planet as Christians. God is, uh, that is to say, he is buying back all of the suffering and, and the pain that we endure. And he is doing that for his good purposes. And he is doing it in order to uh, bring about His holy desires in our lives. This is what's at the heart of the text that we read this morning from Romans 5 and Romans 8. We'll start in Romans 5 and then we'll land in Romans 8. But we see here in Romans 5, especially verses 3 and 4, that God is seeking to produce a hopeful character within us. And that He does that not through comfort and ease, but that, it, that we must traverse the path of suffering if that hopeful character would be produced within us. Here again, the Word of God, not only that, but we rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. It begins with suffering, it moves through endurance, uh, goes into character, and then lands with hope. And there is a golden chain here from suffering to hope. That the suffering that we endure has a shaping effect on our character. And it also produces hope within us. Hope, not just the, gee, I sure hope God is someday glorified, or I sure hope He's accomplishing His redemptive and holy purposes. No, Hope, scripturally speaking, is confident expectation. 
we have a confident expectation that indeed God is, I don't fully understand it, but He is accomplishing His good, holy, perfect, pleasing, redemptive and holy purposes even in my suffering. What kind of character is He producing? It's Christ-like character. Christ Himself having traversed the pathway of unimaginable suffering and pain through the cross. It's the kind of character that aims at us being shaped to look more and more like Jesus today than we did yesterday, and even more like Him tomorrow than we do today. It is the, the, the progression and the process of sanctification. How at once we are, yes, set apart for the holy purposes of God, and yet at the same time, we are, what is it Paul says, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Yes, God is at work shaping our character even through suffering. But the road to joyful hope, it traverses the road of joyful suffering. We rejoice in suffering. Joy, by the way, different than happiness. You don't have to walk around grinning like a Cheshire cat all the time. Joy, something deeper. Something not affected by circumstances and situations. And with this in mind, then we come to Romans chapter 8. That we see God not only shaping character, but we see the kind of character He's shaping. It is after the image of His Son. Uh, verse 28 is what, what I've called the family secret. That this isn't for just anybody and everybody, but it's specifically for us. Romans 8, 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Or literally for those who are the called according to His purpose. And the calling there, we are, it's intentional that we are to connect that back to earlier in Romans 1 and verse 6, Paul writing to the Roman church, he says, including you who are called to belong to Christ. That's the calling. We are the called, called to belong to Christ as well, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. There's the calling again. It's intentional that Paul uses the same language here. This is the calling to belong to Christ, the calling to be saints. We are called, according to the gospel, and according to the purpose of God. But we know, not perhaps, perchance, maybe, possibly, he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Again, not a few things or some things or most things. All things. Even those things that have Bad, bad, bad stamped on them in great big capital letters. God is at work even in those for good. Now, the challenge is, how do we define good? Because if we're defining it by our definition of good, we're going to run into trouble, right? But if we acknowledge that God's definition of good is greater than ours, and that we may not always see the good that he has in mind and in store, 
And I think we're getting closer to what it is that God is doing. He is at work in all things for good, for His good and glorious purposes, for His redemptive and holy purposes. In our lives, yes. In a larger scale, at a greater scale, beyond us, yes, absolutely. And it is God who is working all these things out. God who is at work in these things. And I really want to impress that upon us as well. He is at work for those who love him. Do you love him? That was a good place to say amen, by the way. Do do you love him? Amen, yes, absolutely we love him. For those who are called according to his purpose. Again, that's the church, that's Christians. For those whom he foreknew and... God foreknowing, that's number one, that's, that's what he does. It's a verb, he's active in it, and it takes place even before the foundation of the world. Uh, it's a personal thing because we see there the word those, those whom he foreknew. It's connected to those who are called and those who love him. And I just want you to see this. We are those whom he foreknew. Before the foundation of the world, he loved you with an everlasting love. Those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is the character that is, this is connected back to Romans 5, how the suffering and the endurance and the character that produces hope. This is, again, the Christ-like character that God is after within us. It's the image of his son that he's after in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then if we have the golden chain from suffering to hope back in Romans 5, then we have the golden chain of glorification, if you will, here in Romans 8. It starts with he foreknew, and then it goes to those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. That God will see to it that he accomplishes his glorious purposes in your life and mine. Even with all the Pain and suffering, and yes, even not only in the midst of that, but through that. Perhaps the greatest holy purpose of suffering, if we go back to chapter 5, is that it awakens in us a sense of God's love for us. Something we've touched on in Romans 8, and now we come back to Romans 5 and verse 5 about how hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love of God poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Notice the Trinitarian nature of this. It started back in verse 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God the Father through God the Son. And now... God the Father's love is poured out into us, into our hearts, through God the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit who's been given to us, Christians. He abides within us. He dwells within us. The Holy Spirit awakening within us an awareness of God's love. And that is especially needful in times of suffering. That's the context here. The suffering that we endure. And yet, we have the promise And we know about God's love being poured out into us. I mentioned last week that 
it seems like we're in a, a season of suffering here. And originally it was just one sermon that I had, but the more I thought about it, the more I dwelt upon it, and the more that this, I kept seeing this here in front of us, right? This, this is our prayer list. It impressed upon me that, yes, there is so much pain and suffering from the loss of loved ones to the, the needful surgeries that people go through. Uh, and then sickness and illness and disease and COVID. And then even the gunshots and the, uh, the, the, the time spent in, in jail and, and the cancer. It can be overwhelming, and especially a, a sermon like this, if you're on the list, if you're going through the pain and the suffering now, the challenge, the challenge is to hear the Word of God and to allow it to speak to your heart even in the midst of pain. I recognize that there, part of the challenge is what is mentioned in Proverbs 25 and verse 20. The wise man there says, singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar on a wound. I recognize again that the challenge of a sermon like this, the last thing that I would want to do is to pour vinegar into your wound, the vinegar of theodicy and, and demonstrating the, the righteousness and the justice of God even in pain and suffering. Furthermore, the challenge for us who, who maybe aren't going through a season of suffering, we recognize others are going through it, but we ourselves personally may not be going through it. The challenge, of course, is that we don't go around and try and take someone's coat in the cold weather of suffering. I know that's a temptation to say, hey, you know, God, God, he's, he's working all things out after. That's the challenge is not to do that, but just to, to be still and to sit with and to grieve with our brothers and our sisters in the midst of this, to be the hands and feet of our Lord and our Savior. Our responsibility is to dispense grace, to be conduits of God's grace, to help people look forward and look upward, to treat them with the tender compassion of Christ. And again, the challenge is to find the, the holy and redemptive beauty and the ugliness of suffering. But perhaps the most beautiful thing about suffering, which is both holy and redemptive, is that if we are willing it will draw us closer to God. You know, I, I, I didn't get permission for this. So I'm not going to use a name. But I was visiting with a, a member recently who has, had gone through a, a lengthy season of, of pain and, and suffering. And I just, the joy, the joy that your sibling had after coming through that, 
well, it was, it was inexpressible. And, and they shared with me how in the, the privacy, the privacy of their prayer closet, that it was as if they could feel the very presence of Jesus with them. And what a beautiful thing that was. That nothing is wasted. My brothers, my sisters. Nothing is wasted. Let me close with this. I'm reminded of a, of a story. It was a little boy who was going on his first roller coaster with his dad. He'd never ridden a roller coaster, and so he was nervous. He was fearful to be expected. But his father assured him it, it, was, it was okay. It was safe. His father told him, son, if it gets too scary, just tuck your head under my arm and I'll hang on to you. And they got on together and from the moment that roller coaster crested that first hill, that first drop, that little boy's head was tucked, buried under his father's arm. The pain we face in the world is similar to that, the roller coaster pain, suffering, grief, and sorrow. And we know that God loves us, and he's, he's promised to be with us always, and He's promised to accomplish His holy and redemptive purposes. But when things get too painful, when it hurts so much, that is when we tuck our head under the arm of our Father. We lean into Him, and He hangs on to us as we go through that. Let's commit this to prayer. We don't always see how you used the pain and the suffering that we endured, Father. I rejoice for those times when my brothers, my sisters can see it and they recognize how much closer they are to you, how much more they're like Christ having gone through it. But we pray that you would pour out your love into our hearts by the Spirit, that you would continue to conform us to the image of your Son, that we would, by faith, recognize your holy and redemptive purposes in the things that we endure in this life. And most of all, Father, we pray that we would be zealous for your glory in all things. We love you. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.